You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. Today we are in week seven of a nine-part series called From Dream to Reality. And I want to make sure that you know that every year around this time, since our church started in September 2018, we've done a series over a specific book of the Bible. Now this year, instead of studying one very specific book of the Bible, uh, we are studying one specific chunk of the Bible. We're actually looking at Genesis chapter 37 through Genesis 50, and we're looking specifically at the life of one person in the Bible. And it's a guy by the name of Joseph. But I want you to know why we every single year do a series like this. And it's because I want you to love the Bible. Like, I want you to know that this book is God's word. Like, I want you to know that it is alive and that it's powerful. I want you to know that this book is not just some random collection of stories and like this big list of do's and don'ts. No, this is the alive and powerful word of God that will speak to every single area of your life in every season of your life. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, talking about God's word, it says every part of this, every part of scripture, I love this, is God breathed. In other words, this is the only book that's breathing. It is alive. And not only is it God breathed, it's useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way through the word. We are put together and shaped up for the task that God has for you. Now, if you're new around here, we have a mission as a church and that mission answers the question, why do we exist? And our mission is simply this, we exist to reach all people. By the way, that's all 2.1 million people in the greater Cincinnati area. We exist to reach all people and teach them to have a relationship with God, not religion, not a behavior modification, not this compartmentalized hour of our life, but we exist to reach all people and teach them to have a relationship with God that only just keeps getting better and better. And here's what I've discovered, church, that type of relationship with God, like one that just continues to get better, one that never goes in reverse. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you this right now, that type of relationship with God requires a relationship with the Bible. And so we're doing this series to help you really lean into God's word. And I just want you to know that if you are here today, and maybe you do not have a Bible, like maybe you don't own a Bible. We would be honored to give you a Bible. We actually have Bibles that are available for free at our info area and it, that, that are already paid for by the amazing, generous people of our church. And if you need a Bible today, go and get it. Now, again, in this series, From Dream to Reality, we're looking at the life of one guy. It's a guy by the name of Joseph. And when he was 17 years old, he got a dream from God. But that dream didn't become reality for another 13, 14 years until he was 30 years old. And the Bible says that that gap in between his dream and his dream becoming reality was all about his character. So in this series, we're looking at nine character tests 
that Joseph had to take for his dream to become reality. And today, if you are taking notes, we are talking all about the prosperity test. The prosperity test. Write that down, that message title, the prosperity test. Now, I understand right off the bat, some defenses just went up. (laughs) Here's why. (laughs) because I understand that there's a lot of baggage around that word prosperity, especially in church. That that word in church over the years has had a lot of bad PR. And uh, now, because there's this teaching that is in some churches, and maybe you've heard of this, called the prosperity gospel. And that teaches a give to get message that essentially that if you give specifically financially, if you give financially to God and to his church, that God will answer your prayers, um, that he will bless you, and that he'll bless you with things like health and wealth. Let me make this crystal clear, whether you've been coming here for almost 200 Sundays or you are brand new. Let me make this crystal clear. At our church, we do not believe nor endorse the prosperity gospel. Listen, church, you cannot buy a blessing. Can I get a good amen? At our church, we do not believe that we give to get. We believe that we get to give. (laughs) And that's a really big deal around our church. And um, just to make that crystal clear right off the bat. Now, this week, um, I did hear a story about a church that made an offer to the people in their church. And the offer was that if you give $1,000, you can pick out three hymns. And so this little sweet old lady, uh, she walked up to the front of this church, got out her checkbook, stroked a $1,000 check, slapped it on the pulpit and said, I'll take him, him, and him. Just that, okay? Uh, Yay, zinger, okay? Come on, we need to laugh a little bit in church. That's not what we're talking about today. Uh, We're not talking about prosperity like that. Uh, What we're talking about today is the part of Joseph's story where he experienced what the Bible said was seven years of prosperity. Now, if you remember from last week, Pharaoh, the ruler, the king of Egypt, he had a dream. He actually had two dreams. And then Joseph actually interpreted those dreams in Genesis chapter 41, verses 28 through 30. And listen to what it says. It says, God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he is about to do, talking about his dreams. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt. But afterwards, there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. And the famine will destroy the land. Now, right after this, Joseph was elevated and promoted into leadership in Egypt. He was actually second in command. And then right after that, they would experience everything that Joseph predicted. And this is what we read today in Genesis chapter 41. This is talking about those seven years of prosperity. It says in verse 47, as predicted, for seven years, the land produced bumper crops. And during those years... Like Joseph, he gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain from the surrounding fields in the cities. He piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashore 
And finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. Talk about prosperity. And then it says in verse 53, that at last the seven years of prosperity of those bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt, it actually stopped. It came to an end. Then the seven years of famine began just as Joseph had predicted. The famine also struck all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt, because of what happened, there was plenty of food. And then it says in verse 55, eventually, however, the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well. And when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. So with famine, with severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grain to the Egyptians for the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. But it gets even better than that. It says, and then people from all around came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe throughout the world. Now, here's what we have to understand when we're thinking about these two very specific seasons that Joseph went through, these seven years of prosperity and then the seven years of famine. Here's kind of the big idea that we have to understand. How Joseph handled the season of prosperity, it affected how he experienced the next season of famine that when we read throughout that story, what he did in the seven years of prosperity, it actually affected that very next seven years that was famine. And it's really important for us to get this because this is the prosperity test. And here was the key to him actually passing the prosperity test. Is that throughout those seven years of prosperity, he was, get this, here, here, here's the big idea, is that Joseph, he was a good steward. He practiced what we call good stewardship. Now that word is a very solid churchy word. Stewardship. Okay. I almost want to say it with a lisp. Like stewardship. Uh, you know, I can push up my glasses. Um, but this word, this word stewardship is, is, a, is a great Christianese word. It's almost like you only hear it in church, but like, what does it actually mean? I don't know what you think of when you think of the word stewardship. But here's my simplest definition of stewardship. Stewardship is just simply taking care of something that is not yours. That is what stewardship is. So all throughout that seven years, we see that this is what Joseph did so well. It's taking care of something that is not yours. And here's why it's so important for you and I to understand this, because this is life. Like life is stewardship, because we're simply taking care of somebody else's stuff. In fact, all throughout the Bible, we see this message. And I saw it in a new place over the last week in my personal devos, My Time With God. And it said this in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and here's what it says. Oh, there it is. Uh, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. I love that. That's such worship-filled statement. That's what we did over the first 25 minutes of our service. We put all the attention on God, and we said, yours is the greatness, yours is the power, yours is the glory, yours is the victory and the majesty, and we put the spotlight directly on God And then listen to what he says right after this. 
He says, everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. This was King David, who literally was in charge of everything. And King David says, no, I'm not in charge, you are. Everything belongs to you. And I think one of the most important principles that you and I as followers of Jesus not just need to understand, but we need to live is the fact that God is the owner and that we are the stewards. And we have to understand our place, that God is the owner and we are the stewards. We're just simply taking care of what has been given to us. And we see all throughout the Bible that Joseph, he understood this principle. In fact, it was on full display during the seven years of prosperity. And when I look at those seven years specifically, I see that he was a good steward in three specific areas. And I believe God is calling us to be good stewards of the same exact three areas. So if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Number one is time. It's time. I see that Joseph, that he was a great steward of his time. And there's no way that they could have experienced what they experienced during that seven years of famine unless he was a good steward of his time during the seven years of prosperity. I believe that he knew that he knew that he knew that he had to maximize every single day of that seven years of prosperity to know what was about to happen. Like, it's like, no, we have to. There's a sense of urgency that we have to maximize and steward our time. And here's what I've learned, church, that time is our most valuable commodity, not money. Come on, how many of you have realized this? That time, not money, is our most valuable commodity. And here's why, because I can make more money. I can't make more time. So time, it is our most valuable commodity. And the Bible, when it talks about our time, is very specific when it talks about our time here on this earth. Listen to what it says in James chapter four, verse 14. What is your life? What is the time that we have been given here on this earth? You are a mist. Another translation says a vapor. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Psalm 39, verse four and five says, Lord, remind me how brief that my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. How fleeting my life is. You have made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but See, the Bible is very clear that our lives are very short, especially in the grand scheme of eternity, that our life is short and that every single day is a gift from God that, get this, needs to be stewarded. Now, here's the best way that in my, in, in my experience, in my almost 41 years of living life on planet Earth, here is the best way that I have found to steward my time. And I'm gonna show you just a quick illustration to help you see this. Because one thing that I would encourage you to do this week is to, is to really sit down and think about your depth chart of things that are most important to you. Because here is the most important thing 
that I would say for me is the number one thing that has helped me steward my time well, and it's this principle, is to schedule your priorities. It's to say, okay, I'm going to sit down, and here's your homework this week. Take some time this week to sit down and say, okay, what is the depth chart of things that are most important to me? And, and here, here, here's mine, by the way. Is a, I just wrote down my top five, that God is number one. And by the way, that's the place that he wants to be in your life too. Not only that, it's the only place he wants to be in your life. He doesn't want to be on your list. He wants to be number one on your list. And so God, he is number one on my depth chart of priorities. And then my marriage, then my kids and my family. And by the way, here's the reason why it's not kids and family and then my marriage. Because one day in Jesus' name, my kids are going to leave my house. So all you married people here, take some notes right there. I mean, that's a, that's a big one. And then fourth, my career, my calling. And then fifth is friendships and other relationships. And, and that is the depth chart of my life. And here, 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 here's the point. Here's the reason why I show you this. My schedule and my time, for me to be a good steward of my time, needs to reflect those priorities. And here's why. Because I've learned that whatever isn't a priority will eventually become optional. Let me show it to you this way. Um, Here's what often happens in life. So imagine that these containers right here represent our lives. So they represent our lives and our schedules and the time that we have here on planet Earth. And these big rocks, they represent our priorities. For me, this represents that top five That's right there. And so we have these big rocks in our life, these top priorities that are in our lives. But then we have all these other things that aren't on that list. So we have those top five, but this, these small rocks, they kind of represent everything else. So many things that end up filling up our time and all the things that we end up doing in life. And these things, by the way, aren't bad things. They're just not these things. And so it's really important to say, okay, how do I spend my time? And here's what I found that's so easy is that if we're not living our lives intentionally, that if we're not like value and prioritizing these priorities in our schedule, what ends up happening is all these things just end up taking up our time. And then whatever is left over, we start to give to these areas of our life. And so what we end up doing when we do that is that we kind of put it all in. And what we end up seeing is that like we just don't have enough capacity. And the things that we don't end up having capacity for are the very things that are our priorities. But the best way that I found to be able to actually steward my time well is to schedule my priorities. So if God is first in my life, then before I do anything, I'm going to have a blank calendar. And I'm going to, if God is first in my life, then that means he goes first in my calendar. 
And so I'm going to put him in first. So what that means is that I'm, I'm going to carve out, this is when I go to church. This is the service that I'm going to. I'm going to think about, I'm not going to stumble into it, that I'm going to go to that. Here's the group that I'm going to be in this summer. And here's the time that it's going to take in my week. And then here's my personal time with God. Like he wants a personal relationship with you. So you got to spend some time with him. So I literally in my calendar, I schedule my time with God. Literally, you can come look at my calendar and you'll see these are the times where I put it in my calendar to spend time with God. And then next, okay, fine, my marriage, I want to make sure that I'm putting that in next. And then, okay, my, my, my kids, my family, and then my career, all the things that I'm doing. By the way, let me just give you this little, little nugget here. Priority doesn't mean that gets the most time because that, that, there's no way. You know what I'm saying? Like your time with God isn't gonna be more than probably your career. Because then it's like, so do I just spend like, because when do you sleep? If you do all that, it's those things, right? So it's, 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 it's not about the quantity of time, it's about where it goes in your, in your day and the time. And then, okay, then I'm gonna put this, this other big rock that's in there. Now, look, all these things, they don't have to leave your life, but when you put it in the right order, when you prioritize your time, watch what happens. And then it all fits. See, when we prioritize our time, same jar, but it all fits. And I'm telling you, in my day-to-day life, there has been no greater exercise that I have used in my life that has helped me steward my time than when I schedule my priorities. So... God wants us, and we see it in Joseph's story, to steward our time. Here's number two, is steward our gifts. You see that Joseph, like he was a good steward of the gifts that God gave him. And there's no doubt, when you read through his story, when you read through those, that Genesis 37 through 50, you will see that he had so many God-given gifts and talent and strength. In fact, here's a full list of all the gifts that are in the Bible. And by the way, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 lists an additional nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that when you have the Holy Spirit at any time, you can operate in those nine gifts. The gift is the Holy Spirit, then he, the Holy Spirit has those nine gifts. But these are the ones that are like in your DNA, These are the things that like God made you. It doesn't matter whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you have these gifts. And so these are a list. And when I look up there and then I look at Joseph's life, man, how many of you see some gifts that up there that he had? Like you see, like I see in Joseph's life leadership. He had the God-given gift of leadership to be able to move people and to organize things and to do all that. But not only that, he had the God-given gift of wisdom that not only did he know what to do, he could see what to do. He actually had wisdom of actually how to accomplish it. But then I also see a gift of administration on his life because he was able to keep everything in order and make sure that everything was, let's take this ration here and let's make sure that we store it here and all the details and behind the scenes. I see that he was a gifted man, but listen, listen, listen. Him having gifts wasn't enough. It wasn't. Him having gifts wasn't enough. He had to use and he had to steward his gifts. In fact, for them to experience what they experienced during that seven years of famine, 
He had to steward the gifts that God gave him so that they could experience that during the seven years of prosperity. And not only that, how he stewarded his gifts didn't even just help only his country. It goes on to say that he helped every single country in that region during that time. And I think that is so important for us to get. But some of you, maybe you have bought into a lie that you don't have any of those. See, because just like Joseph had gifts that were given to him by God, you do too. And some of you, maybe you find yourself and you're hearing things like that. Yeah, but you're like, not me. If you only knew my life, if you knew me, like I, I, I don't have any of those gifts. Oh, really? First Corinthians chapter 12, verse seven begs to disagree. Because it says a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. First Peter chapter four, verse 10. It says, God has given each of you. Let me ask you a very simple yes or no question. Are you an each? Yes. Okay, let me ask you a simple yes or no question. Feel free to respond in the chat. Thanks, same thing. Are you an each? Yes. yes. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. And here's the reason why. When you steward them, when you use them well to serve one another. The question is not, do you have any God-given gifts? The question is, are you stewarding your God-given gifts? And an even more important question, do you even know your God-given gifts? Like, do you know? If I were to say, hey, what is your God-given gift? At least one of them. Do you be able to say, I know exactly what, how, how God has wired and made me, and here's the gift that he's given me. And by the way, this is what step two of Grow Track is all about today. We actually call it Discover Your Design. And one of the things we'll do today is give you an assessment where you learn your spiritual gifts. And so I challenge you. If you've never been to step two of Grow Track, I challenge you to go today. As soon as this service is over, it'll be at 1 p.m. We'll even feed you. And by the way, today is Chipotle. Come on, get a good, a good amen for Chipotle. It is so good. So if you're eating clean, we got you, okay? And we'll, we'll feed you Chipotle. But more, more importantly, we'll help you discover your God-given gifts. But let me tell you straight up, that our goal is not just for you to know and to discover your God-given gifts. Our goal is to help you use and to steward your God-given gifts to do what we're all created to do by God, and that is to make a difference in the lives of other people so that you can live your life every single day on mission, not just here at church, but every single place that you go, knowing this is who God made me to be, and I can step into any environment and make a difference inside and outside these walls, just like Joseph. Because Joseph, we see that he stewarded not only his time, but he was a good steward of his gifts. And then finally, number three, we see that he stewarded his resources. That is so clear in this text that he was a good steward of the resources that were given to him. In fact, in verse uh, 48 of Genesis chapter 41, it says, during those years, Joseph, he gathered all the crops grown in Egypt and stored the grain 
from the surrounding fields in the city, and he piled up huge amounts of grain like sand on the seashore. And finally, he stopped keeping records because there was too much to measure. And if he wouldn't have stewarded those resources that way during the seven years of prosperity, they wouldn't have made it through the next seven years of famine. And what I love is how he stewarded those resources. It not only impacted his country, but it impacted so many other surrounding countries. And just like God cared about how Joseph stewarded the resources that was given to him, God cares a lot about how you steward the resources that he's given you. And I wanna make sure you understand why. He cares so much about how you steward the resources that he gives you because it ultimately shows your heart. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus himself, he says, for where your treasure is, where your resources are, your heart will be, also, will, will be there also. Notice the order. The order is very, very, very important. He doesn't say that your treasure follows your heart. He says that your heart follows your treasure. In other words, that your treasure, your resources, your money, it's connected to your heart. And, and let me just make this abundantly clear. God does not need nor want. Like it, it's, it, he, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't want, he doesn't need your treasure, but he does want your heart. And he knows that your heart is connected to your treasure. And when we look through God's word, we see that there is a, blue, a blueprint and a guide for how to be good stewards in this area of our life. Now, uh, this is a illustration that I did. Yeah, two illustrations on one Sunday. Get you some, and I worked hard this week. Um, uh, so I, I did this seven months ago um, in a series that we did actually on like biblical finances and stewardship. Um, and I was like racking my brain all week, like how can I communicate this in a different way, uh, in a better way? And I could not think of one. So um, it's okay because all I do is remind people of things that they probably already know anyway. And so like, so you're just going to deal with this again. And let's be honest, not everybody was here uh, seven months ago. So um, so when it comes to, th this represents like our, our money and it represents our resources, the things that God has given us, our possessions, all that. And so that, that's what this represents, this green. And we made it green because of money, okay? Um, and how, <laughs> we're brilliant, I know. Um, and and, and we, we, we actually steward, we, we're called by God to steward this. Um, it, it's, it's, it's not yours, it's somebody else's. But, but God gives us the ability to steward this. And we do that one of three ways. One, we spend it. Second is that we, we can save it. And then the third way is that we can give it. Those are the ways. And, and here, here's what culture will say. Culture will say, okay, this is what you need to do. You need to spend and you got your bills, you got your car payments, you got your mortgage, you gotta make sure you take that vacay this summer, you gotta do all those things and then spend and then just, come on. <laughs> Give me just a little bit, little bit, there we go, there we go. Then you save a little bit, then you, you give a little bit. Um, now, by the way, this, this is not God's plan. 
um, if, if you, let me just warn you, if you're, if you're living your life this way, it's going to end bad. Like there, there's going to be a disaster at some point. Um, just think about if Joseph did this. For seven years of prosperity, man, we can do what we want. We can eat good in the palace. Prosperity. Let's go on a bunch of vacations. Let's do all these things. And just think if they would have lived their life this way, if this is how Joseph, who was put in charge of all the things, chose to steward what was given to him, what would they have done whenever the seven years of famine kicked in? I mean, it would have been bad. And so like there's a a different way to do this. This is not God's plan. Let me show you God's plan. We get get paid again. And so it's another payday. Kind of hit... Now, b- before you, you do anything, God says, wait, make sure your order is right. Because this isn't even the order that I want you to do this in. And he says, here, I want this to be first. I want you to give first, then save, then spend. And by the way, here's why I believe that he puts this first. Because when we give first, it's like the best way for what we have to not have us. It's a show like, no, like you don't got me. Like I got you. And it's a way to do that. And he says, hey, first, before anything, give. And the the biblical term for this is tithing. And, and if you're not familiar with that, it's, it's where you give God your first. It's really about putting God first. To me, my schedule and my, my giving is the most practical ways I know how to put God first in my life. And it's a way of saying, okay, before anything, I'm going to give. And the biblical principle is that you give 10% knowing that God can do more with 90% than you can do with 100. It's faith. It's saying in faith. So I'm going to start there. And by the way, let me just brag on our church for a little bit because I believe that this is one of the most generous churches in the world. And I am not saying this thing because, hey, I need you to do this, so I'm going to teach this so that you do this. No, we're, we're, we're good. I want you to be obedient and do what God tells you to do. I'm doing this for you, not, 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 for, not for us. So I just want to make that abundantly clear. Cool? So thank you for your generosity. You guys are amazing. I'll tell you a little bit later in the service. I'll thank you again, okay? So, so we give first. And then what if we lived our life with margin and we budgeted in such a way to like, no, we're, we're setting aside for a famine. And so then we're gonna save. And then while living in margin, then we're gonna spend and make sure that we do all the things that we need to do and take care of all the things. And we're gonna live within our means by doing that. And God says, this is how I want you to do this. Now, there are seasons of life where some of these may change. There may be seasons of life where like, hey, we can give more in this season. God is blessing us tremendously. Our, 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 our living expenses are low, so God's put it on our heart to be more generous. Or maybe in a season we can save more. But the, here, here's what's most important. The order never changes. And so... This is the way that God says, hey, you want to be a good steward of your resources, the finances that I bless you with, here is the way to do it. Now, I have been doing this long enough to know like what the enemy loves to do in a message like this. 
See, because this is one of those messages that I, if I was sitting in your seat, I'd love. See, I'm all about inspiration. Like, fire me up. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, let's, let's charge hills. Let's do that. Yeah, I, I love that. But I also love when it's like very practical. Where it's like, I, like I know, like, I, one of my goals as a communicator is to show you that, the, that not only this is alive and powerful, but like this can impact tomorrow. Like when we put these things into our life, like our life can change. And I always love it when I'm hearing people communicate that's like, great, that's great. I, I buy into that. Can you tell me how? But in a message like this that can be so practical, here's what I know what the enemy loves to do. He loves to bring shame. He loves to throw as much shame on you as possible. It's like, oh, let me show you all the ways that you fall short in those three areas. You know, because the truth is, every single one of us, there's nobody here that's like, you know what? I don't have any time, so this doesn't apply to me. No, this, this, this message applied to all of us. Time, gifts, resources, we, like we all have that. So what the enemy loves to do is say, hey, here's all the ways that you're awful at these things. He loves to point out every single mistake that you've made in the past in these areas and say, you remember when you did this and loves to show you all the ways that you missed the mark and all the ways right now that you're not getting right up in, to like in, in these three areas. And instead of like causing you to lean into conviction, which leads to positive change, what the enemy loves to do is to point you and bring so much shame. And what shame does is it leaves you paralyzed right where you are because when we feel shame, we hide. Because the truth is, when we feel shame, we don't like it. And so we wanna hide from it. We don't wanna face it. We don't want other people to know that that's what we're experiencing. By the way, that's not new to you. That goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three. The very first time that sin entered the world, the result was shame. And the cause of that was like, after that, it's like, okay, then I'm gonna hide. But the problem with hiding, guys, is that like, Hiding always keeps us from being healed. So as long as you hide that shame, God can never heal that shame. And so it's so important to be able to do that, but there's everything inside of us that says, I don't want to do that. And by the way, if you are here and that's you, and throughout this message, you've just been feeling shame of hurt and mistakes and ways that you have not lived up to all these things and, I've got some really good news for you today. Like you need to know that Jesus, that he understands what you're feeling right now. In fact, in Hebrews chapter four, it says that Jesus, he understands all of our weakness. So there's nothing that we've experienced here on earth that he did not personally experience, including, get this, our shame. In fact, if you studied a Roman crucifixion, which is what Jesus experienced, you'll see that a Roman crucifixion wasn't just for executing people. It was also to bring as much shame as possible on the person during the process. And so let me read you from the Bible in Mark chapter 15, 
what Jesus himself experienced. It says, to pacify the crowd, Pilate, he released Barabbas, another criminal, to them. And he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. But before he was crucified, they dressed him in a purple robe and they wove thorn branches into a crown and they put it on his head. Then they saluted him and taunted, hail king of the Jews. And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him and dropped to their knees in mock worship. And when they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him again. And then they led him away to be crucified. But he wasn't tied to a cross. It says, then the soldiers, they nailed him to the cross. Now, I, I, I don't mean to be graphic, but most scholars and historians believe that people who were crucified at this time were crucified completely naked for one purpose, to bring as much shame on that person as possible, to be completely exposed. And while he was on, that, on the cross, after he experienced all that mocking, it still didn't stop. It goes on to say that the people who passed by, they shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha ha, look at you now. They yelled at him. The leading priests and teachers of the religious law, all the church people, all the religious people, they joined in too. They also mocked Jesus. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from that cross so we can see it and believe him. But it wasn't just the people who passed by, it wasn't just the religious people. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. Church, when I read through those verses, That's shame. But here is the best news of the day. Is that Jesus, he went through all that. He died a shameful death. So we don't have to live a shameful life. Listen, Jesus just didn't pay for your sins. He also paid for your shame. And because of what Jesus, he experienced on the cross, listen, you don't have to live one more minute of shame. So if at all over the last 35, 40 minutes, you felt shame in, in any of these areas or any area of your life, hear this loud and clear, not from me, but from the Holy Spirit of God, where he says today, church, shame off you. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And just right here, right now, before we leave, why don't you ask God, God, what are you saying to me today?
God, I ask in Jesus' name, would you speak to every person right here, right now? I ask that you would speak so clearly. God, I ask that you would give us next steps, things to do, things that that we could start to implement today. So ask him right where you're at. God, what are you saying to me? Ask him, what does my response need to be to this message? Maybe ask him this. Is there any area in my life right now where I need to be a better steward? Maybe it's one of those three areas. Maybe it's your time. Maybe for you, your tangible next step is just to schedule your priorities. Write those things out and schedule them. Clear clear your calendar, put those in first and everything else gets the rest. Maybe for you, it, it has to do with your gifts. Maybe for some of you, you know your gifts but you're not using them right now. And God's like, it's time to start using the gifts that I've given you. It's time to take it off the shelf where dust has been collecting and it's time. Maybe for some of you, you don't know your gifts. And for you, the best step that you can do is to go to Grow Track today so that we can help you find out what those things are so you can start to steward the gifts that he's given you. Maybe for you, it's your resources. Maybe today you feel conviction from the Holy Spirit that I need to start giving. Maybe if you are giving, you need to start tithing. Maybe it's to start saving and start living with some margin. But just ask God, God, is there any area of my life where, I, I, where you're calling me to steward things better? But also maybe you're here and you are far from God. Maybe right now you do not have a relationship with God that gets better and better. Like we talked about, that's the mission of our church. Maybe if you were honest, you're like, man, I feel so far from God. And maybe you've never given him your life. Maybe you have in the past, but for whatever reason, now you just feel so far from him. And today we wanna give you the opportunity to get right with God. Today, if you're here and you're dealing with so much shame, I wanna remind you that what Jesus did on the cross, that it not only paid for your sins, but it paid for your shame. And we wanna give you an opportunity to make what we believe is the best decision of your life, the decision to follow Jesus. And if you're here and that's you, we're not gonna embarrass you or make you come forward, do anything like that. I just want you right now with your eyes closed and head bowed, that if you're here and you know that is your step today, that it's what God is calling you to do is to get right with God. I'm gonna ask you on the count of three to throw up your hand, put it in the air and say, include me in the prayer that I'm about to pray. And if you're here and that's you, I want you to encourage you to have boldness, to have conviction, whether it's for the first time or it's all over again, you're giving your life to Jesus. If you're here and that's you on the count of three, boldly put your hand up in the air. One, two, three, and say, include me in that prayer. I got you, I got you. Anybody else? Anybody? Yeah, I got you, I got you, I got you. That's awesome, I got you. That's great. So proud of you, so proud of you, so proud of you. You can put your hands down and pray something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. And I'm sorry. I repent. I change my I change my mind. I change my direction. I'm sorry that I've lived my life without you. And right now, I invite you into my life. Will you change me? I cannot do that myself. Will you make me brand new? 
God, today, I I give you my life. Maybe if you're struggling with shame, you can even right there just say, God, I give you my shame. I recognize that you paid for this shame so I don't have to carry it anymore. You can walk out of here shame-free. So God, I pray in Jesus' name, would you take the shame? And God, we thank you for Jesus. And we surrender our whole life to you, everything. We give you our life. And right now we receive what you paid for. We receive grace, we receive forgiveness, we receive your love. We receive a fresh start. And God, our response is to leave this place and follow you for the rest of our life. We thank you from the bottom of our heart for Jesus who took on our sin and who took on our shame. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, I want you to clap your hands and celebrate like you never have before for all those that made that decision. Oh, it's awesome. If there's anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com slash prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at queencitypeople or visit queencitypeople.com.